We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. There's ghosts haunting these woods. And they're headed straight for Roaring Camp Railroads. Is it a trick? No. It's Thomas and Percy's Halloween party. And with a bounce house, pumpkin patch, temporary tattoos and face painting, plus photos with Sir Top and hats, it's certainly going to be a treat. So get down to Roaring Camp before all the fun disappears. Weekends October 12th through the 27th. Hey everyone, this is Neil Dutton. You can find me on Twitter at ndutton13 and you're listening to the NFC East episode of the 2019 Division Preview Series, a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Our guest today is Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation and in this edition we'll talk about the new look Eagles offence, how the Cowboys could look without Ezekiel Elliott and how Evan Ingram could be in for a big season for the New York Giants as well as a host of other topics. After the interview, we'll take a few minutes to think about what Brandon said and we'll be taking a closer look at Evan Ingram using some of the Rotoviz apps. For those of you who don't know, Rotoviz is a sports data and analytics site that publishes over 1,000 articles per year and has a suite of more than 20 proprietary apps. Go to rotoviz.com to check out the site and now let's bring on our guest. Please welcome to the show Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation. Brandon, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Neil. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, we'll jump straight into it with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, uh, Bleeding Green Nation, for those that don't know, uh, is an Eagles blog. So, the first place to start, obviously, when talking about the Eagles, um, what are your expectations for them based on the fact that what we didn't have last year for the Eagles, we've had a full training camp for Carson Wentz? Yeah, expectations are high. I mean, you said it best, uh, Carson Wentz is healthy. I think that's the biggest thing that's, like, critical for this team. If he is hurt, I mean, maybe, you know, Josh McCown can get you through a couple games or so, but uh, you're not going on a Super Bowl run, probably, with Josh McCown, although I guess crazier things have happened. But really, I mean, Carson Wentz is the key to this team's success. He's looking healthy. I think he's had a very good offseason as a whole. There was some talk that, you know, he wasn't having the best training camp. 
I really disagree with that assessment. I think he looked better than he didn't um, for the most part. So I feel encouraged by what I see out of Carson Wentz. And not only him, but you look at the supporting cast around him, and it's arguably the best group of players he's ever had to work with, right? I mean, you have Deshaun Jackson, you have Nelson Aguilar, you have Alshon Jeffrey, you have Zach Ertz, you have Dallas Goddard, you have Miles Sanders, you have Corey Clement, you have Darren Sproles, you have J.J.R. Sega-Whiteside, you have Jordan Howard. I mean, and that's not even to mention one of the better offensive lines in the league. So the pieces are there. I feel like offense is really important in the NFL, <laughs> as you saw last year when the final four teams were all the top four offenses. And to me, I look at this Eagles offense, and I think they should be one of the top offenses in the league, and therefore the team should be pretty good as well. It does seem that there's been like some some slight negative uh, perception, not negative, but more ambivalence due to the fact that Wentz didn't play at all in the preseason. But that just seems to be the way it's going now that you're not going to, you can't take anything from the preseason. So it's pretty much well, why bother playing them. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Rams last year. They didn't play their starters in the preseason. Jared Goff, you know, he wasn't suiting up, and they started out just fine. They start, The Rams started out 8-0 last year, and they were averaging 33 points per game on offense. So I think this whole idea that, you know, he didn't play in the preseason, he's going to be rusty, whatever, like, I just I don't put a lot of stock into that. I think I am completely fine with the team erring on the side of caution and not having him get hurt because, again, if Carson Wentz goes down in the preseason, like, Okay, your season's over already before it even started. I didn't. I didn't want that to happen. So uh, they, I think they did the smart thing. They did the right thing. They rested him. Carson Wentz has gotten plenty of work in training camp practices, and those include the joint training camp practices with the Ravens. So that's almost like a preseason game, the way uh, things were simulated in practice there. So I just don't buy into this idea that he's going to be super rusty because he didn't play in the preseason. I mean, I. Personally, I, I am, you know, I'm a big fan of Josh McCowan because I still like the idea that there is a professional sportsman playing who's older than me. So that still gives me a chance that you know that one day I still might get my shot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, man, that's that was a big ad for them to really get him out of retirement. And he looked great in the first preseason game, and only preseason game that he played for the Eagles. And that was coming on about, like, just three or four days of practice. Like, for him to already pick up the offense that quickly, that's really encouraging. And obviously, he'll have only even more time to really catch up on things uh, should he have to play at some point. Hopefully, obviously, the Eagles will hope he doesn't have to play at all this year, other than maybe Week 17 when they already have everything locked up. But, uh, yeah, so I think that's that's crucial. You know, Nate Sudfeld obviously being hurt early in the season with his wrist injury and just him not having, like, the greatest summer. I don't think Nate Sudfeld had a bad summer by any means, but I don't think, you know, he did enough to clearly win the number two job, and that's why the Eagles brought in Josh McCown, and, and he clearly did win it even though he only played in that one game I think he is clearly Carson Wentz's backup and so I think you feel a little bit better about the backup quarterback position especially if Carson Wentz had to miss just a couple games again if you're missing him for the long term not great but if you're missing him for like a game or two I think we all know like Josh McCown can give them a chance to win for a couple games and when you talk about the support and the cast before one of the you know the last names you mentioned but that's just because there are so many names uh, was uh, rookie JJ Arcega Whiteside uh, he seems to have had, you know, seems to have uh, created some buzz for himself given his form over the preseason and uh, training camp and whatnot. Do you think he's earned a large role for himself this season, or is he still uh, a player that you know probably for twenty twenty and beyond? Yeah, I, I can't say large role right yet, just because you know the Eagles have uh, Alshon Jeffrey, who is going to get probably the most targets of any receiver, just like he has. I think. 
pretty much like the past two years here since he's been here. Um, he's still your number one wide receiver, even though he's not like a typical 1,000-plus yard per guy every season or and hasn't been for a while now. But I still think he's going to you know, have a lot of targets. Obviously, you have Deshaun Jackson, and we all know it. That guy is capable of stretching the field. Um, he's going to be a huge part of this offense. And then you have Nelson Aguilar in the slot, who his role this year is kind of really interesting to me because with the, all this talk that the Eagles are going to use more two tight end sets and 12 personnel, I can kind of see his role dipping a little bit, depending on how that goes, because it feels like he would be the odd man out if the Eagles are going to go you know, with more just two wide receivers and then two tight ends as well. So we'll see how that one shakes out. Um, but I definitely do think J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is going to have a role on this team. I think he's a role player. He's not going to have a huge role, but I think you look at him as a guy who could contribute in the red zone, especially because of his jump ball ability. And we even saw how his route running really makes him dangerous in the red zone uh, with that touchdown catch against the Ravens in the preseason. So I think J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, again, is going to have some kind of offensive role on this team, but it's more as a role player. Um, I, I did predict uh, – I did a prediction earlier uh, this offseason that I think he, he could get more touchdowns than Nelson Aguilar this year just just because like he could have this big red zone role. Um, so I don't think that's off the table, but I just don't think his playing time as a whole is going to be huge. And are we on that his nickname is Jules or is it J. Jules? Yeah, so I talked to him about this uh, earlier this year, and he said, you know, he hasn't earned a nickname yet, which is a good response for a rookie to say. I think he's very humble. Um, he said you can really call him whatever you want. I think JJ is uh, the most natural just because uh, he said that's what his teammates and that's what the coaching staff are calling him, just JJ. So that's what I'm going with. And, of course, you know, th- there is another Jules associated with the Eagles who might be a bit piffed about, a bit miffed about it. Yeah, I can't do Jaws for, for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside because it's just, you know, I keep thinking of Ron Jaworski anytime it's that. So uh, I, I just, again, I go J.J. Um, that's that's where I'm at with it. And you mentioned, obviously, that the, there is speculation that the Eagles will run more, you know, 12 personnel. We're having two tight ends. A lot of people are very, very high on Dallas Goddard. Obviously, he didn't, you know, didn't play the bulk of the snaps. He was more involved as the season went on. Um, but there is the not inconsiderable, uh, considerable barrier of Zach Ertz to his playing time opportunities. Do you think can can you see Goddard eating into Ertz's role, or do you still think Ertz is going to be the focal point of the passing offense for the Eagles? Yeah, I think. Zach Ertz is still very much going to be a huge part of this offense. Not as big as last year, just because it's not really easy to have a season where you set the NFL record for single uh, season receptions by a tight end, like Zach Ertz did, and then like do that again the next season or even get close. Um, so I don't think he's going to quite have those numbers, but I definitely do expect Zach Ertz to be probably the number one target. I said Alshon Jeffrey was the number one wide receiver. I think uh, Zach Ertz will still be the number one target overall in this offense. We know that Carson Wentz has a relationship with Zach Ertz and likes throwing to him, so I fully expect to see that happen still. So I don't think Dallas Goddard's playing time is going to come at the expense of Ertz so much because I do think we will see the increase of 12 personnel and even 13 personnel, uh, You know, so those three tight end sets as well. So, I, again, I think it could be Aguilar who could be coming off the field. It also could be Deshaun Jackson in certain situations, maybe, you know, again, in the red 
red zone when you're, you're not looking so much for that deep threat in you know a more confined area so it's going to be a heavy rotation i think and that's kind of how the eagles really like to do things at multiple spots on their team really on both offense and defense is rotate guys heavily i think it kind of makes them harder to prepare for in their minds uh having this flexibility to go from a, a lot of 11 personnel to a lot of 12 personnel so uh, i do think dallas goddard needs to be on the field though like that's key to me the eagles are trying to lose games if they're not playing dallas goddard like he's too good i've watched him practice we all saw it last year like that guy has a lot of talent a lot of potential and i think he's ready to really contribute to this team so he better be out there um last question about the eagles um one of the big things that people have harped on about especially in fantasy circles is the fact that since pretty much he's arrived as the head coach doug peterson has not really um lent on one running back he's had something of a committee and people are using that for reasons to try and temper their enthusiasm for miles sanders in this coming year now I know that you know the not all running back committees are created equal. Um, do you still see them using you know uh, Sanders, Jordan Howard, and Darren Sproles, or can you see a genuine bell cow emerging out of the two of them? So I'm, I'll assume at this stage of the game, Sproles probably isn't going to be the the lead back. But between the two of them, could you see them splitting work, or is this going to be uh, Miles Sanders' gig? Yeah, I think it's going to be a split. I mean, that seems to how, be how it always is under Doug Peterson and Deuce Staley. Um, like, that's, that's just how they operate. It's how they've always operated since they've both been here on the Eagles coaching staff. So that's what I'm fully expecting. Also, I think, you know, Miles Sanders is a rookie for as talented as he is and exciting as he is. Um, I don't think you just – he's all of a sudden like this 20-touch uh, per game guy right out of the gate. I think we're going to see a decent amount of Jordan Howard still. I mean, you know, people, I get why people aren't so high in Jordan Howard. His efficiency has been declining now for, you know, multiple seasons in a row. But like, this is still a guy who has a lot of volume and has produced at the NFL level. And he can still help you, I think, in certain situations. He's one of the better red zone running backs. He's one of the better short yardage running backs there are in the NFL. So Jordan Howard is still very much going to have a role in this offense. He's not a big pass catcher and that's where you're looking at Miles Sanders to kind of factor in more and even Darren Sproles and Corey Clement as well I think those guys are going to touch the ball they're going to be role players in this offense but I think whereas those two guys are the role players I think Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders are your two you know main backs who are going to get the the majority of touches each week and it honestly it could kind of be like a matchup thing it could be week to week this guy gets more carries one week this guy gets the other depending on who they're facing and what the the situations are like I think my my guess is that Jordan Howard kind of starts the year with kind of a bigger role than he finishes the year with. I think he could potentially lose playing time as the season goes along and he doesn't look as good and Miles Sanders continues to look better and better. But, you know, if Miles Sanders is struggling in pass protection or ball security, which are some issues for him in the past, then, like, you know, I don't think the Eagles are suddenly just going to keep sticking with him all the way and he's going to have this huge mega role. So, for me, you know, if I'm playing fantasy, I am cautiously looking at this Eagles backfield situation and feeling like okay you know they're going to rotate these guys a lot still um, so speak, So we'll move on to the Dallas Cowboys now obviously we talk about running backs and rotating, rotations and uh, touches from a week to week basis as we record this now so in my time it's 20 past 8 in the evening on the 2nd of September Ezekiel Elliott is not in camp he's not with the team so 
Do you think that the Cowboys... Do you think that basically their mentality is going to be we'll just ride with Tony Pollard? Or do you think they will try and work in some kind of committee themselves? As you know, We, we know how important Zeke is to the Cowboys' offence. Do you think that they'll just try and go pretty much like for like? Obviously not the same talent level, but do you think they'll try and stay true to what they are until Zeke comes back? Well, they're definitely a team that wants to run the ball. Uh, That's their identity, and I expect we will see Tony Pollard, especially given the way he's impressed in the preseason, kind of have this big role early. Um, Alfred Morris did some nice things for them a couple years ago, so I don't think, you know, they're totally down on him. Um, They can probably, they figure probably he can beat some part of a rotation in there. But it seems like Pollard is definitely the guy there to start out, especially if Zeke isn't going to be there, which, as you said, it seems like it's not going to be, like, at this point, it's looking like at the very least he might not be there for week one with this whole contract negotiation thing going on um so that could easily change you know we could finish this podcast and things could be different but for right now the way it's looking like i'm not counting on zeke to be there and it'll be interesting to see how long that situation drags on i mean it's the cowboys offense does seem to be um, another area that's generating some positive press this offseason obviously new offensive coordinator kellen moore who was already there under the old coaching staff so you wonder was he actually paying attention at all or was he just off doodling his own offense and not listening to scott linehan but they've got you know amari cooper who came in last year had some big games against other teams in the nfc east but then pretty much didn't do much against other teams and obviously they've got a uh, second year player michael gallup um Cooper's been hurt this offseason as well, so Gallup has had a, a larger opportunity. Do you think, um, from a passing game point of view, do you think they'll start to be a bit more expansive and lean a bit more on Dak Prescott than they have in the past? Well, I think that'd be a mistake. <laughs> they did because I don't. I don't think Dak has really proven that he can carry that offense with his arm. Uh, whenever the Cowboys have had to rely on Dak, and specifically like when Zeke has missed games, I mean they've they've been much significantly worse when you know Zeke has not been in the lineup, and that's because again, this is a team, the Cowboys, whose identity is running the football and really making things easy on Dak. It's not like they're like, all right, Dak, you know, you carry us this week. No. Like Zeke is the guy who carries that team with his legs, and that sets up things for Dak in the passing game. It makes things easy for Dak, basically. And when things aren't easy for Dak, he has not shown that he can really just be consistently overcome that adversity. So to me, um, this whole Cowboys offensive situation is really interesting. I mean, obviously they have talent, the offensive line. Um, for as much as I don't love Dak, he's at very least you know a game manager, a capable game manager. The whole offensive coordinator thing is bizarre to me. Like I just I don't know why we're assuming Kellen Moore, who you know is this former quarterback who doesn't have a lot of play calling experience, really I guess none, uh, uh, is just suddenly going to step in and this thing is going to be like seamless. Is he really the best offensive coordinator like they could have hired this offseason? Like is that what we're really thinking and really telling ourselves? So I'm really interested to see how that one is going to play out. I think it's kind of crazy how people are just assuming like oh yeah you just bring in Kellen Moore and the offense is going to be awesome. Like I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. Um, if you switch to the other side uh, for the uh, Cowboys last season, their defense was something of a surprise, as it's always seemed to be one of the these undermanned units. It's just you know Rob Marinelli is something of a wizard, so does, is able to get some production out of them. Do you think though, with um, any moves they've made this off season, obviously they're locking up, trying to lock up the core of their team with the young players like Jalen Smith, trying to uh, you know trying to ex- uh, they've extended him. Do you think their defense can? Uh, get better or do you think it's last year may have been something of a flash in the pan 
don't think it's a flash in the pan just because they have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Now, traditionally, you know, defense isn't as sticky year to year, so we could see a bit of a drop-off there. Um, I don't think it's going to be a bad defense all of a sudden, but it just might not be as good, quite as good as it was in 2018. I just think when I look at the Cowboys' overall outlook, um, you know, from a general kind of just standpoint is that you know this is a team that i feel like overachieved last year um in terms of point differential and dvoa they were like below the top 12 teams the team so typically the teams that actually do make the playoffs uh and they were in a lot of close games last year and traditionally you know these close score games these one score games uh those aren't sustainable to win like over a period of time like you you don't end up being a team that like is always on the right side of those because there's just so much luck involved in football you know a ball bounces this way um, a ball is jumped on by multiple Eagles players at the beginning of the game, and it clearly is recovered by the Eagles, and the refs say there was no clear recovery, even though we can all see it. So so things happen. Uh, crazy things happen uh, where you know luck works in your favor sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. And I think basically the Cowboys have been in a position where they've been on the right side of those bounces, especially last year. And I think when you look over the history of those teams, those teams are kind of poised to regress uh, a little bit when it comes to those one-score games. So that is one thing I'm looking out for the Cowboys I feel like they're still going to be a good team at least an average team but I don't think they're going to be quite this elite team because they just seem like a team to me that seems poised to take a step back a little bit we have seen it in the past especially under Jason Garrett when they do have the season where they've won the NFC East the next year when they play that first place schedule they tend to drop off a bit and then they come again the year after so it's as you say with that and how how well they did in close games there is that, you know, not fear because you know, obviously, you know, <laughs> you're writing for the Eagles. It's not a fear. There's the uh, the worry that they, you know, that maybe that they're not going to be able to mix it with the big guns, as it were. Yeah, they do have, you know, uh, some tough. Not not out of the gate. Out of the gate, they have a really easy schedule, but it gets tougher uh, as the season goes along. It's still one of the like easier, relatively schedules in the NFL. So again. Um, I think we're looking at at least like probably an eight or so win team, uh, and they'll be in the mix in the playoff picture for sure. But I just I do not think they're this juggernaut by any means, and I think some people have been kind of thinking they could make that jump. But I just I do not see it. So if we move on to the team that the Cowboys will be playing in Week One, uh, that's the New York Giants. We'll just start with the most obvious question and probably the most important one: When does Danny Dimes start? Uh, not soon enough if you're a Giants fan, right? I mean, wait, they're just anytime they are using to play Eli Manning is just a waste for them. Like, they know that he is not going to lead them to anything good at this point in his career. He's very clearly washed up. Like, he is not the answer for the New York Giants. You want to see Daniel Jones, if you're a Giants fan, if you're the Giants. Like, this should be the guy who is your future, and he definitely, obviously, showed some some good stuff in the preseason, so you want to see if he can build on that. Um, I, I guess it probably won't be too long before we do see him in the lineup, because Manning will probably struggle at some point, and the Giants will lose games, as they're wont to do, and we will see them eventually put uh, Daniel Jones in the starting lineup. And that's, you know, again, that's how it should be. He should be there. He should be starting already. The Giants should have moved on from Eli and saved the money they could have by either trading him or cutting him. It's kind of too late at this point, I guess. But, um, yeah, so I just think they're wasting their time with Eli, and Daniel Jones should be in there for better or worse sooner or later. So whoever is the quarterback, obviously, be it Daniel Jones or Eli Manning, the the star of this team, you know, the the, the straw that stirs the drink is Saquon Barkley. Obviously, he was fantastic as a rookie. Do you think he could get 
better or do you think that the I'm trying to think of a polite word the encumbrance of this offence could hold him back somewhat yeah I mean it's hard to imagine Saquon Barkley getting much better because he's just so talented but he is only 22 so he's still very young Um, and yeah like the offensive line here we're still I don't think we're talking about one of the league's better units still they might be improved but they're you know I still think they have a long way to go in that regard there so uh, I think Saquon's still going to be a major weapon but it's just you know it's a question of how much does that matter you know if the quarterback isn't there and that's what we saw with the Giants last year like Saquon was doing some awesome things but when Eli Manning is bringing you down as a quarterback, which is very much the much more important position, then, you know, it's kind of like Saquon can only do so much, basically. So, um, Saquon's awesome. He's going to be a very tough weapon for a lot of teams to deal with. He's going to have some amazing highlights, but I just don't think him himself is really enough to overcome the Giants quarterback situation with Eli Manning starting and struggling. Obviously, um, the Giants wide receiver core um, was shaken up somewhat during the off-season, the trade away for Odell Beckham. The players that they now have in place are, you know, Golden Tate, obviously late of the Philadelphia Eagles, suspended to start the season. Sterling Shepard, who's not terrible. He's not, you know, a superstar by any stretch of the imagination, but he's been injured during uh, training camp. Obviously, coming from, you know, from the Eagles, where, you know, we have almost an embarrassment of riches at tight end. You could argue that the main offensive playmaker, aside from Saquon Barkley for the Giants, is Evan Ingram. Could you see him having a big season himself, given the lack of real competition, and now that he seems he's finally healthy after missing uh, quite a few games last season? Well, yeah, that's a big question with Ingram. You know, he's been hurt a lot, uh, banged up, or you know, these soft tissue injuries or whatever he's had, really, that kind of kept him in and out of the lineup there. So, you know, assuming he is healthy, yeah, you know, he should be a focal point for that offense, and especially with the receiver, the receiving core, I should say, uh, not looking so great. You know, as you mentioned, Golden Tate suspended, Sterling Shepard coming off of this injury in the preseason. Um, so, and, and just, you know, the wide receiver core just not looking great minus Odo Beckham Jr. there uh, to begin with and add it up and, you know, you have a struggling Eli Manning and then his targets aren't amazing. It just does not seem like the the, the biggest uh, recipe for success there. And you add in Pat Shermer to me being honestly just one of the least inspiring head coaches in the NFL. Like, where does that guy really give you, like, an edge on game day? I, I don't really see it. So I, you mix that all together and it's really just not the most inspiring group to me. Do you see the Giants being in contention for the first overall pick, or do you think they could be? Do you think they're just good enough to be mediocre? I guess it kind of depends, you know, what they do with the quarterback situation. Um, if they're going to ride out Eli Manning the whole year, which I think would be crazy, and I, I think there's a non-zero chance it could happen because of their just unwavering loyalty to him. Uh, so it could. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be uh, number one pick so much as they might be like more of a, a six-win team or so. Uh, maybe they maybe win six or seven games, kind of just you know mediocre slash bad. Because um, even if Daniel Jones plays again he looked good in the preseason but like you know he's a rookie quarterback and as we just highlighted that that supporting cast really isn't the best one so it's hard to imagine like he just comes in and everything is suddenly clicking and looks amazing i i don't see that happening so yeah i think the giants are going to have a losing record this year i don't think they're going to be like one of the top three or five or whatever worst teams in the nfl but i do expect them to have a losing record 
So from one team with a veteran quarterback, with a, a rookie waiting to come in, with a questionable supporting cast, we go to another team with a veteran quarterback, a rookie quarterback, and a questionable supporting task in Washington. Jay Gruden has come out and named Case Keenum as the starter for week one. Same question as with the Giants. When do you think we'll see Dwayne Haskins start for, the, uh, for Washington? Uh, again, probably not soon enough uh, for Washington fans and, and Washington as a whole. I mean, Case Keenum seems like a pretty big waste of time to me. Uh, he's clearly not very good at all, as Eagles fans would know. Um, you know, and even just putting the 38-7 to loss to the, in the, uh, against the, in the NFC Championship game with the Eagles beating the Vikings uh, aside, putting that aside, you know, Case Keenum struggled in Denver last year. He still has like a, a pass, career passing rate, career passer rating in the 80s. Like, we just we, he's 26 and 28 all time as a starter. Like this is clearly not the answer for them. Um, you know, so Haskins didn't look. I, I don't think he quite looked ready to start Week One. But it's kind of like you know what do you, what are they really getting out of starting Case Keenum? Um, I think Washington's kind of an interesting team in the sense of uh, their roster isn't terrible. Like they have talent on that roster, they have talent in the trenches. Although you know Eric Bowers starting for them is not ideal. <laughs> I know it's a guard, but still it's not great. Um, but especially like on the defensive line, the talent they have there with all those guys. Uh, so they have some nice pieces. It's and Jay Gruden I think is not a bad coach. I don't think he's proven to be an amazing coach, but I don't think he's like a terrible coach. I think he is at least some kind of average coach there. So they kind of have uh, an interesting unit. I mean, this was a team that was leading the NFC. East for a good chunk of the 2018 season before Alex Smith really got hurt there and then Colt McCoy got hurt and their season kind of went to hell in a handbasket all of a sudden so I don't think they're again they're not this amazing team by any means especially given their quarterback situation but they do have talent on that roster and they're getting Geist back uh, so we'll see how much of an impact he can kind of have for them and how they string all that together there Um, but you know for as much of there is like intrigue there with some of the pieces and the talent they have. And you're also missing Trent Williams. I think that's a very big loss for them. Uh, and again, you have Eric Flowers starting a left guard, and your quarterback right now is Case Keenum. So I just I, I don't think the outlook is super high there right now. As I said, their wide receiver core. Actually, it's a talented team, that, and people do forget they were six and two at one stage last year. But then Alex Smith got hurt, and then they lost Colt McCoy. Then Mark Sanchez turned out to be Mark Sanchez. They went to Josh Johnson, and obviously things went bad. But you look at the wide receiver core has changed obviously since then to now, and it's unproven. This is why it was so sad that it seemed that Jordan Reed was coming into a season healthy for the first time in about four years and then he goes and gets a a pretty nasty looking concussion and it obviously, as we know, is not his first. So, do you see anyone emerging as like a genuine, I don't say superstar, but as a week-in, week-out contributor as a pass catcher? Yeah, I mean, Jordan Reed, not, not just not only his first, like, like his eighth or tenth, like, it's it's been a lot for that guy. And that's, you know, that's, that's concerning. Like, that's that's different, you know, than some kind of other injuries. That's your head, that's your brain. Like, that's a pretty important thing to uh, have and keep healthy, I would say. So that's pretty concerning. Even though if he's supposedly going to be fine for week one, like, you know, that's one that is, you know, ser- concussions are serious. So that's, that's a tough one. Um, you look at the rest of this offense, I know they seem to, like Trey Quinn, right? Like in the slot there. Um, that'll be kind of an interesting fit for them in that offense. Um, they cut Josh Doxson, so clearly, you know, uh, looking to move on from things. They're getting Paul Richardson back 
from injury. Uh, they signed him to that big free agent deal, and they I guess they're envisioning him as someone who can potentially stretch the field for them. We will see how that goes. Um, overall, I just look at this offense, and um, Geis is easily the thing that intrigues me the most. I really liked his talent going into the draft last year. Obviously, he's coming off the ACL, so we'll see how healthy he is and everything. And I even think he, you know, he didn't really play too much in the preseason, or he was coming off injury still. So uh, there are some questions to be answered there. It is certainly not a juggernaut of an offense, but they do have some pieces. That's kind of how I feel about Washington as a whole. Like again, they're not this great team, but they have some pieces that make you think, okay, like I kind of like that guy, and I kind of like that guy. So like maybe they can kind of figure something out here. But you kind of look at the whole picture and you're like, I don't know. I just don't think there's enough. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I mean, Darius Geis has come back. Obviously, you know, terrible injury last preseason. Then there was all the, the stories about uh, additional operations and infections, which obviously you don't want to hear from, from anyone. But he's come back. He's not looked bad in uh, the preseason. They've got him. They've got Adrian Peterson, uh, obviously 1,000 yards last year. They drafted Bryce Love, who again is coming off injury. There seems to be a pattern. It seems like Washington have a type. Uh, and there's still Chris Thompson there, you know, uh, receiving, you know, uh, to give them, the, uh, you know, the receiving work out the backfield. It's not the best offense or backfield you could ever hope to see, but it's not terrible. I mean, I think if you put, I think if you offered Tampa Bay any of those running backs, they'd probably take them. Yeah, it could be worse. I, that's, I guess, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Is like it could easily be worse, but it could also be a lot better. I mean, they're so they're kind of in this like middling spot um, where they kind of just have to figure out how these pieces are going to fit together. And I guess the depth really isn't amazing. So that's kind of one thing to keep an eye on with this team. Like if they have some injuries and they have been injured a lot in the past couple of years, it's just hard to see them like being able to withstand that as much as a team like say the Eagles, you know, could withstand that given all the depth that they have. Although the Eagles are sorry, although the Washington did pick up Wendell Smallwood, so obviously a huge addition for them in that regard. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I don't know how the Eagles will come back from that one. Um, so um, just to finish up, Brandon, obviously great to, great to talk to you and really appreciate your time. How do you see the East, uh, you know, at the end of the season, how do you see it lining up? Well, I'll, I will start off by saying that uh, a fact that many Eagles fans and NFC's fans probably already know, but just reminding the people out there that there has not been a NFC East repeat division champion since all the way back when the Eagles did it uh, in 2004. So it has been quite some time. So, you know, all this uh, just big assumption that the Cowboys are just going to win the NFC East for a second year in a row, I mean, that would be a very big historical moment in terms of something that has not happened in a long time. Usually the East is kind of a, every year is a different year for every team division. So I think the Eagles are back on the rise. I think the Cowboys, again, are still going to be good, but they're just not going to be quite good as the Eagles. I know they beat the Eagles 2-0 uh, you know, both, in both games last year. Um, so they, they swept the series last year, but I don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think it's going to go the other way around. I think the Eagles are going to assert their dominance in the East. I think they win the division at 11-5, and five, and then I think the Cowboys are going to finish second. And then I, I you could really go either way with the Giants in Washington. It kind of depends how those quarterback situations shake out there. Like, Do the, do the Giants really uh, get smart in bench Eli Manning? And do the what, what, like, what's going to go on with Washington? And what version of Case Keenum shows up in Washington? Uh, it's probably not going to be the guy who was starting for the Vikings in 2017. That guy probably doesn't really exist. But what if it did somehow? Like, Then things would be a lot different. So uh, they're, they're kind of more of a wild card, I guess. They might be the biggest wild card in the division 
division in terms of like they could potentially be better than people expect, but they could also be pretty bad. So I think it's clear that the Eagles are the number one team in this division. The Cowboys will absolutely give the Eagles a run for their money, uh, as they have in the past, and that'll be tough. But I think ultimately they come out on top and they take the NFC East after doing it last in 2017. Bradley Gauntman, it's been absolutely fantastic. Where can people find you? Thanks for having me, Neil. You can find my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. You can check out Bleeding Green Nation's podcast, BGN Radio. That's on Twitter at BGN underscore radio. And I think that's just about it. That was Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation. After the short break, we'll take a few minutes to consider some of the things we talked about. As you know, the 2019 NFL season is finally here. Get ready for it with a subscription to a Rotoviz NFL Pass, which you can get right now for 30% off. This discount is for listeners of the podcast only, and it's available through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools, and best of all, it supports the pod. Again, be sure to get your 30% discount for an NFL Pass at rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. If you've had $100 on the street, would you pick it up or just keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do you know you can bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join right now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right, double your first deposit. Just use the promo code ROTOVIZ to activate the offer. That's promo code ROTOVIZ. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome back to the NFC East episode of the 2019 Division Preview Series, special edition of Rotoviz Radio. I'm Neil Dutton. Before the break, we were speaking to Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation uh, about the four teams in the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles, the reigning NFC East champion Dallas Cowboys, New York Giants and Washington. Um, great chatting with Brandon, obviously a wealth of knowledge about the Eagles and all the other teams in the East as well. Just going to take a few minutes now just to have a look closely at some of the things Brandon and I talked about. Um, one of the big questions that we had was Zach Ertz. Obviously, Zach Ertz had a huge season last year, a record-breaking uh, campaign for the Philadelphia Eagles. 
and it's just a question of you know what can we expect from him this year I mean obviously last year as I say he broke the single season record for tight end receptions with 116 and if you look at his per game numbers last season played 16 games which is a rarity something of a rarity for Zach Ertz and his per game averages he averaged 9.75 targets per game 7.25 receptions 0.5 touchdowns 72.69 yards per game and so you break all that down I say it's uh, 1163 yards from his 156 receptions sorry 156 targets sorry uh, his 116 receptions 8 touchdowns 280 PPR points. Now, if you actually look, though, I say, as Brandon pointed out, we can expect some regression due to the health and additions that the Eagles have made on offense. Obviously, Alshon Jeffrey would appear to be healthy. They would obviously like to run the ball better than they did last year. They do have the running backs now, Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, Darren Sproles back, of course. So if you actually have a look at what we could expect from Zach Ertz, we still think that Ertz is likely to lead the team in you know targets and receptions and most receiving categories. But if you have a look at his career since 2015, when he first really became a featured part of the offence, and if we take out take out last season and you look at the rest of his the rest of the seasons since 2015, what his what his averages have been. We do this using the Rotoviz Game Splits app, one of the one of the best apps we have at Rotoviz, in my humble opinion. And you actually look, uh, say, so we've had we talked before about what his per game totals were last season. But if you actually look from 2015 to 2017, his average is 7.6 targets per game, just to take over five receptions, 57.9 receiving yards and 0.3 of a touchdown. That's 13 PPR points per game at 208 over the season. Still still good, you know, still up there among the best um, among the best of the modern tight ends, but it, he's averaging four PPR points a game less than he would have done uh, if you look on last season's stats. So I think that's pretty much that's closer to what we should expect from Ertz in 2019. It's still a good season, but not, not a record-breaking season like he had last year. We move on to Dallas, and we mentioned that, say, at the time of recording, Ezekiel Elliott is not present. So the likelihood is you know, they're going to go into 2019, the early days at least, without uh, without Elliott in the backfield. Now they obviously they drafted Elliott fourth overall in 2016, the Cowboys, and Brandon did point out that he doesn't think that Dak Prescott has shown enough, or the Cowboys have shown enough really, to be able to up their game in the t- in the games that Elliott has missed in his career. So again, if we look now at the team splits app on Rotoviz, we see that since 2016 the Cowboys have played 48 games, 40 with Zeke and 8 without. Now, when they have Elliott, they average 64 plays per game, uh, nearly 24 points per game, 2.27 points per drive, and they win 70% of their games. Uh, in the games, they attempt 31.5 passes and 30 rush attempts. But you look at the eight games without Ezekiel Elliott, and these numbers drop 
pretty much all across the board. Um, their plays per game drops to 60. Their points drops to 19.8. So that's four points fewer per game. And their points per drive drops from 2.27 to 1.71. And their winning percentage drops to 500. They become an 8-8 eight and eight team without Ezekiel Elliott. They're an 11-win team with him. Uh, the pass attempts only drops a little bit down to 30 from 31. The rush attempts drops from 30 to 27. So that's pretty much there's your th- there's your four plays per game. Uh, the rushing yards with Zeke per game it's 140 per outing, and that goes down to 106 without him. So that just shows you you know what a big part of their off their offense Elliot is. They're, they're geared to go through Ezekiel Elliott, and I say he's been bloody productive when he's been there, and he has helped the overall efficiency of the team. Now, one player that I would like to focus on specifically, and it's a player that Brandon and I did talk about, and that is Evan Ingram of the New York Giants. Now, we we could have a perfect storm here. As I said, we saw the last year, Zach Ertz had an offence that, I'm not going to say it was a failure, but it didn't do what it wanted to do. It was a very, very short field offence. There was no vertical threat. If, you, if you've listened to any of my um, podcast appearances or you li- read anything that I've written this uh, off-season, which I hope you have, you'll see that I've made the point that the Eagles lacked the vertical downfield element this season. Obviously, they've had it the year before with Tory Smith. In 2018, they wanted it to be Mike Wallace. Um, so, so it didn't happen. So everything was close to the line of scrimmage. And essentially, they were a dink and dunk, for want of a better word, offence. And that's why Zach Ertz, as he operates in that um, region of the field, was able to get such a heavy workload. Now, you look at the New York Giants this year, and you look, they've been decimated in their wide receiver core. There's no Odell Beckham. Golden Tate is suspended. Sterling Shepard has been banged up. Um, so... The only real healthy and established veteran they have as a pass catcher, um, obviously Saquon Barkley is going to get his targets, you assume, but Evan Ingram. And now Evan Ingram, over the last two seasons, um, is the tight end nine in PPR scoring, despite missing six games over the two years. Now, if you're looking for someone to step up in the absence of Odell Beckham, well, you can argue that in the two years he's been in the NFL, that's exactly what Evan Ingram has done. Um, whenever Beckham was out of the lineup, so again we go to the game split app, and we see that Evan Ingram has played eleven games with Odell Beckham and fifteen without him. In the games with uh, Beckham playing, um, Ingram averages five point six targets, three point four receptions for thirty seven point five yards and point two seven touchdowns, and this works out at eight point nine PPR points per game, which is great. But given what you know, <laughs> the toxic wasteland that the t- that the tight end spot is in fantasy football, it's actually you know it's not terrible. However, you look at the fifteen games that Ingram has played without Odell Beckham, and the Numbers, they go through the roof. Um, he averages 7.8 targets, 4.7 receptions, 59 receiving yards, and 0.4 touchdowns. And this works out at 13.3 PPR points per game, which over the course of a season is 213 PPR points. Now, that would have been good for tight end 5 last season. Um, obviously, the the Giants, bless them, are going to stick with Eli Manning to start the season. And again, that's not a terrible thing for Evan Ingram. Um, if you look since 2015, Ingram is the third most targeted player 
by Eli Manning, 168 targets in that time. And Manning's adjusted yards per attempt, which you can see at the Rotoviz AYA app, when he's targeting Evan Ingram, he averages 7.29 adjusted yards per attempt. That's his third most of any receiver since 2015, and it's the second most of players still on the Giants' roster. It's just behind Sterling Shepard's 7.57. So we can see, you know, that it is a productive, to an extent, partnership between Manning and Ingram. So, as I say, given the lack of weapons and the lack of available bodies, you'd think that to start the season, for as long as Eli is the starter, he is going to be looking for Evan Ingram. So if we look at the range of outcomes for Evan Ingram this season, uh, using the range of outcomes app, we see that his low-end projection is 8.5 PPR points per game. The median uh, projection is 9.6, and his high is 11.1. Well, we've seen that he is capable of exceeding that high, uh, because that is what he has done in his career in games that Odell Beckham has missed. So it works out at... Uh, four receptions from six targets for 44 yards, uh, 0.3 touchdowns per game. So it wouldn't be terrible. Uh, it's not up there, as I say, what he's done without Odell, but still makes him a very, very interesting pick in fantasy. On the road of his redraft rankings at the moment, he's the tight end four, and this fits in with his ADP over at the FFPC. And his ADP has been pretty steady over the last month, hovering around pick 45. So he's clearly in that next tier of tight ends after your Travis Kelsey, your George Kittle, and your Zach Ertz. And, I mean... The Giants' offense might not be very good this year. This is the problem, especially if they're going to tie themselves to Eli Manning. But if you want, you know, a difference maker at the tight end spot, and you're not prepared to stump up for the big three, well, the next man up would seem to be Evan Ingram. He's in that next tier with, you know, Ingram, OJ Howard, and Hunter Henry. So that's pretty much it um, for the NFC East uh, division preview. Uh, big thanks to Brandon Lee Gowton. Um, obviously, you should check out all the other division previews we've done this off-season at Rotoviz. So, thanks for listening. This has been the NFC East Division Preview. I'm Neil Dutton. You can follow me on Twitter at ndutton13. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the 2019 Team Preview Series from Rotoviz. Our assistant executive producer is Colin Kelly. Our executive producer is Matthew Friedman. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. haunting these woods and they're headed straight for roaring camp railroads is it a trick no it's thomas and percy's halloween party and with a bounce house pumpkin patch temporary tattoos and face painting plus photos with sir top and hats it's certainly going to be a treat so get down to roaring camp before all the fun disappears weekends october 12th through the 27th Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. 
All right, now, listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.